Today's reading is Colossians, Colossians 2, started at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authority, authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They, they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Well, lovely to be here again. Thanks for coming, everyone. Um, uh, for many of us, for many people, I suspect, uh, I, I reckon, I, I suspect for many of us, uh, one of the highlights of childhood has been uh, this was for me, I don't know if it was for you, has been immersing ourselves in the magical world of Narnia. Oh, here we go. I'm booming again. The magical world of Narnia, uh, created by C.S. Lewis, uh, especially the most famous book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Okay? I'm assuming most people are sort of familiar with Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Uh, and if you know the story, 
You'll know that the key problem in Narnia in that book uh, is that it's been taken over by a false ruler, okay, an imposter, the white witch, Jadis, as she is in a different book, who calls herself the Queen of Narnia. Now, this white witch has all of Narnia in her grip, uh, and so that uh, she has this terrible magical power, so that it's always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. And the four kids who enter this world, uh, the real trouble for them begins when Edmund, one of the kids, uh, meets this white witch and comes under her spell. He comes under her spell, lured on by the promise of endless Turkish delights. And even the promise that he would be a great prince in Narnia if he would just do what the Queen wanted. He convinces himself, he manages to sort of talk himself into the position even though he knows deep down it's not true. He convinces himself that the White Witch really is the true uh, Queen of Narnia. Only to find that when he finally gets to her castle, if you know the story, she uh, she gets what she wants from him and instead of being treated like royalty and given a box of never-ending Turkish delight, he's treated like a slave and given dry bread instead. The story goes on from there, you'll know it. Uh, but it's a powerful theme, isn't it, uh, that's fueled a host of stories and played out throughout history as well. Uh, the imposter. Uh, the imposter who makes their way onto a throne that they have no right to. Through cunning and false promises who ends up enslaving the people that they rule through their deceit. It's a powerful imagery, and it's that kind of imagery, it's that kind of imagery that drives this section of Paul's letter to the Colossians that we're looking at today. Uh, If you've travelled through this great, incredible letter with us over the last few weeks, uh, you'll know that in chapter 1, Paul is just captivated by Jesus. Now, the Lord of all creation, that great uh, hymn in verses 15 to 20 of chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open, uh, that, that will um, help as we travel through. Uh, that great hymn of 15 to 20. Jesus as the rightful King of all things. The firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over the new creation. The head of a glorious body, his church. Entering into his kingdom. Coming under this king, we found uh, a few weeks ago as we read um, the little section at the, uh, towards the end of chapter 1, is simply by faith, by holding out our empty hands to receive his gift of forgiveness and peace that he has won for us at the cross. And last week, last week we slowed right down and spent the whole time in just the two critical verses in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The key verse for the whole letter, verse 6, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, they had received him through faith, they'd received him as Lord. Paul says, just as you have received him as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And I mentioned last week, the rest of Paul's letter really goes on to expand what that looks like, what it looks like to continue to live your life in him with Jesus as our Lord. Next week in chapter 3, we'll jump into chapter 3 and we'll begin to see this magnificent portrayal of the Christian life, of what it means to live life in Christ. But before Paul goes there, 
he's got a bit of ground clearing to do. Okay? He's got to clear the ground before he gets there because he knows there is a critical issue, a critical issue that the Colossians need to deal with. Uh, they need to come to grips with it. He's already flagged it uh, in verse 3 of chapter 2. He's talked about... Um, sorry, verse 4. He's talked about uh, being deceived by fine-sounding arguments. He's, he's flagged this issue that he needs to clear out of the way. Uh, but now he sort of uh, focuses, zeroes in right on them. They've received Jesus as Lord, but Paul knows that there are imposters. <laughs> there are imposters, usurpers. Who would want to take Jesus' place? Who would want to take the Colossians captive? I wonder if we've uh, ever, I wonder if you've ever actually sort of intuitively known this or experienced it. I suspect all of us who are Christians, who, all of us who have received Jesus as Lord, uh, I suspect all of us know something of what it is to have these imposters in our life and to be held captive by them. To live with Jesus as our Lord, uh, to live in the light of his mercy and grace and forgiveness, uh, we know, we know that that ought to make us the most joyful and thankful people that there possibly could be. But we know that there are other lords who would take the throne of our heart, who would turn our attention away from Jesus and our eyes onto ourselves. So that having received Jesus as Lord, we continue to live our lives in ourselves, rooted and built up in ourselves, strengthened in ourselves, just as these lords would want us to do. Overflowing with, not with thankfulness, overflowing with pride or despair doesn't seem to have quite the same ring to it as uh, verse 7, does it? <laughs> that depiction. But that is what these lords will do. And I wonder if you've experienced something of their power. These usurpers who would take you captive. Well, if we, we'll, we'll work through the passage, uh, looking at what these different uh, false lords uh, that Paul highlights are and how Paul sort of at the end of it does this remarkable uh, thing to help the Colossians to uh, live their lives, continuing in Jesus. We'll get there. But he opens in verse 8 there, you would have read it as we read through, with this opening warning, a bit of a surprise after we've had this incredible uh, encouragement, the, verse, the, the last few verses, he gets jumped straight into this sort of negative warning. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's a strong sort of image, isn't it? See to it that no one grabs you and takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Paul feels what this looks like in the second half of this chapter, but he, and we'll get to that in a moment, but here he sets up, do you notice he sets up this basic distinction? He talks about being taken captive by a philosophy or like a worldview, a way of thinking. Being taken by, and there are two basic philosophies for Paul. One is a philosophy that's based on and grounded in and flows out of what he calls human traditions, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, which is another way for Paul, I think, to talk about a kind of spiritual realm that exists in opposition to God. 
being taken captive by these things. This is one philosophy, and for Paul there's just one other. One view uh, based on that and the other philosophy, worldview, way of thinking that is grounded on and flows out of Christ. What are these usurpers, though? We're, we're gonna, uh, we're, that will sort of help structure our time together, these two different op- options that Paul sees. They're gonna, we're going to work through them, though. Uh, what are these usurpers who would take you captive? Skip down to verse 16. Verse 16 uh, would have been a shock, I think, to the original people who heard it. Uh, it uh, we'll read it out. Verse 16. Therefore... Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. It would have come to a, as a bit of a shock to some of the first people who heard this uh, word from Paul. Uh, if you um, have read uh, through parts of the Bible and particularly the Old Testament, you'll know that these are all Jewish customs. There are uh, ways that the Jewish people structured their life under God's law, the system of laws and regulations in the Old Testament, given by God, given out of grace to his people, given by his grace to his people that he had saved out of Egypt. You can kind of understand why the Colossians would have faced pressure, faced a kind of pressure to order their lives around this system of laws and regulations that God had given the people of Israel. You see, the Christian story includes the story of Israel. It flows out of it. It's rooted in God's promise to this nation. But Paul says, living in Christ, this is critical for the Colossians, he says, Colossians, to to continue to live your life in Christ, you've got to know what time it is. You need to know what time it is. You need to understand the flow of, of God's history, of his relationship to the world and his people. And verse 7, uh, stunning thing for Paul to say, really, he calls this system of life given by God to the, Old Testament, you know, to the people in the Old Testament, he calls it a shadow of what was to come. A shadow of what was to come. A shadow that was good in its time good and given by God, a shadow that spoke truly about God, but a system of laws and regulations that always had a use-by date. Okay? They always had a use-by date. They were shadows pointing towards a reality, and to live in the shadows when the reality was here was for Paul to actually deny the reality. It was to just deny the reality. And Paul says, living in the shadows, living in that shadow, when Jesus is here, is as much an imposter that will take you captive as any other system based on human tradition. Living in the shadow. Uh, But Paul moves on, and he kind of goes from one extreme to the other. Uh, He moves from this idea of living under the Old Testament living in the shadow when the reality is here, he moves to the opposite extreme. This is brilliant. He he kind of moves from a more legalism sort of way of operating uh, into uh, what I'll call an experiencism way of life. 
and experiencism way of operating is brilliant. Uh, the temptation, you see, for the anti-legalist, the one who rejects the laws and regulations of the Old Testament, uh, one temptation is to sort of flip to experience instead to take its place. Uh, I've had it with your rules. They don't connect me to God. I have my own experience of God to do that. Uh, if you'd only seen what I've seen, if you'd only experienced what I've experienced, the kind of angelic worship I've had, <laughs> that's what Paul's getting at when he talks about the worship of angels, the worship that belongs to angels, a kind of incredible experience of angelic worship. That's what real Christianity is really about, right? That's how you grow, just, just friends, just humble yourself like me, okay? Uh, and come to the seventh heaven with me for angelic worship together. Well, for Paul, that is a hollow and deceptive philosophy that will take you captive. We read it about there as we read through. Uh, from verse 18, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and in this angelic worship disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. You see, living under this Lord of spiritual experience, uh, it looks so impressive. It looks like a deep connection to God. But in reality, Paul says, it is cut off from the head, from Christ. It looks so spiritual, but Paul says, in reality, it is unspiritual. The shadow, the usurper of spiritual experience, the usurper of the world's rules is the third one. Verses 23 to 20, 20 to 23, the third usurper to Jesus' crown, the world's rules. Uh, verse 20 reads, Since you died with Christ and to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So uh, for, uh, Paul saw the Colossians and he knew that they were in a danger. They weren't just in danger of living under the shadow of the Old Testament uh, laws and regulations. They weren't just under the danger of living in a kind of spiritual experience as their Lord. Uh, they knew that there was, he knew that there was a danger of sort of meshing all these things together, creating their own kind of folk religion, uh, meshing them with the rules coming out of the culture around them, okay? Uh, a kind of folk religion, a DIY religion, picking the best bits from here and there, sort of like an ancient self-help movement in the end. And it appears so wise. Do you see that? It has the appearance of wisdom. It appears so wise, but 
ultimately, if you're basing your life on these, this system of rules, of worldly wisdom, and not on Christ, uh, it'll crush you. It will not have any deep and eternal effect. They might help you externally, but they can't touch your heart. It's too deep uh, for a system of rules, no matter how impressive they are. Okay, so friends, uh, there are Paul's threats to continuing to live life under the lordship of Christ. False lords who might seem impressive, who might promise much, perhaps even an unending box of Turkish delights but who in the end are hollow and deceptive and have no deep transforming power. And what is the key? What is the key for Paul in helping the Colossians to face these threats? This is really critical, I think. How does Paul help them? He doesn't simply warn them. He doesn't simply call them to be on guard. Friends, he does something much better. In the face of these usurpers, these false lords, Paul paints the most stunning picture of the Lord they have received. In the, in the face of these other things that would claim their allegiance the way Paul responds is to paint the most incredible picture of the Lord they have received. You find that in verses uh, 9 through to verse 15. See, friends, for Paul, the best defence isn't actually (laughs) offence. The best defence against being taken captive by these lords is to know your true Lord deeply to be rooted and built up and strengthened in him, to be captivated by him, to be so thankful for what he has done that these false lords just are seen for what they are, hollow and deceptive. Colossians 2 verse 9, uh, from verse 9, let's, I'll read it for us. It is worth just reading through in its entirety these verses. So this is Paul's antidote how he equips the Colossians to face the, the, these uh, usurpers. Verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them 
by the cross. See how, what a contrast to what Paul sees as the hollow and deceptive philosophies. This fullness, there is so much in there, but friends, and we won't be able to um, sort of unpack all of it, there is so much in there, but the key is right at the start, verse 9 and 10. You see it there? We've been immersing ourselves in this story of Jesus. All of God's fullness dwells in him. He is God come into this world. And friends, in him, you have been brought to fullness. It doesn't say in him you might be brought to fullness. In him you have been brought to fullness. How is it that they've been brought to fullness? Through keeping rules, through a special extra experience? Now, through a kind of DIY folk religion that adds to Jesus with other sort of impressive rules? No. Paul says they are full simply by being connected to Jesus. Simply by being connected through their faith in him. In him you are circumcised, not with the Jewish physical circumcision, but with the deeper reality that that always pointed to, a spiritual circumcision in sort of a graphic imagery that Paul uses of our old self, the old self under the rule of this world, being cut away, being taken off through our connection to Christ. In him, that old self has died, buried with him in baptism. In him, we have been raised a new person. And all of this, all of this, not through a kind of extra... It's not Jesus plus. Jesus plus rules, Jesus plus uh, special experiences. Simply through mundane, unimpressive, beautiful faith. Simply through holding our beggar's hands out to receive it. That's it. And if you've done that, if you have entrusted yourself to the Lordship of Christ, to this Lord, if you've held out your hands to receive him as Lord, then even when you were dead in your sins, God has made you alive in Christ. He has forgiven all your sin, cancelled every charge against you. You are in the kingdom of the risen Lord who has disarmed the powers and authorities, who has triumphed over them in the cross. Friends, we have been brought in Christ to utter, complete fullness. We don't lack anything. And it's when we've forgotten this, when we've forgotten who he is, when we've let false lords take his place, when we've looked to them to satisfy us instead of looking to Christ, it's then that we are in danger of being taken captive by them. (laughs) That we begin to live our lives in ourselves, rooted and built up in ourselves, strengthened in in our keeping the rules or our spiritual experience rather than in Christ. Well, um, just to finish up, there's you see it on your outline there if you've got it there. There's a really simple equation behind what Paul's saying here. And this is really it for, for today. This is sort of the, the big 
uh, theme of this section, a simple equation. You can see it there right at the bottom of the handout if you've got it there. It's so simple but so profound. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Living in Christ means believing that that is true. Means believing that this equation really is true, even when our feelings or circumstances tell us it's not. It's true. It is true because it's anchored in the cross and the resurrection. And it is true regardless of what any, anything that may happen. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And friends, when we turn, when we, uh, turn to the Old Testament and its laws, it is important for us to affirm and to, not just affirm, but to love the Old Testament as God's, God's word. Uh, the entire Bible is God's word. The Old Testament shows us necessary and great things about who God is, It is critical to the story of God's salvation and we need to be careful of a kind of flippant dismissal of the Old Testament as some Christians have done in the past. But the Old Testament system of laws is no longer the reality that determines the life of God's people. It was the shadow and the reality is here in Christ. In Christ, observing Sabbaths and festivals has absolutely no significance for your standing with God. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When we turn to thinking about our own Christian experience, friends, uh, perhaps that's more relevant for some of us. Uh, We are experienced creatures, right? God is in the business of experience, of transforming us. His spirit renews us and comforts us and shows us Jesus in fresh ways, and there's a kind of opposite danger of being so fearful of experience as if uh, being a Christian meant always being sombre and unhappy. You know, It's hard to imagine a person like that overflowing with thanks. But this is so important, I think, friends. If your faith is in Jesus... There is absolutely no further experience that will make you any closer to God, that will make you any more alive, any more forgiven. Don't let yourself be disqualified. Feeling, perhaps for you, feeling in any way that you lack anything because of someone else's experience. In Christ, all of God's fullness dwells, and in him, you have been brought to fullness. And maybe a helpful diagnostic sort of question to ask at this point is, are we more excited and energised by spiritual experiences than by the finished work of Christ on the cross? Do you long for the next spiritual hit rather than long to know Christ? long to know him deeper, long to live in him. The need for some extra experience as necessary and good, a a gift as our experiences of God are, when you make it your Lord, it will crush you, it will kill you. And the answer is, you are full already. You are full already. Jesus plus nothing equals everything.
And lastly, uh, worldly rules, we saw at the end of the passage there. There's lots to learn, aren't there, isn't there, from the world around us? God is a God of overwhelming grace, whose, whose grace extends to the whole world, even to people who don't acknowledge him. And there's lots to learn that can be helpful. But when the system of rules and regulations of this world becomes your Lord, they are hollow. They are just hollow. They have no power to deeply change you. That only comes from Christ. And next week we're going to look in chapter 3 about uh, this more, a more positive sort of side to the equation, uh, this transforming power that Jesus gives us in the gospel. But friends, in him you are full. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray. Our great Father, uh, we confess that our hearts, our hearts really are prone to wander away from you. You are the spring of living water, but we keep digging our own broken wells, our own broken wells that can't hold water and that just leave us empty. Father, keep us. Keep us from being captured by false lords who would steal our joy, who would steal our thankfulness, Father, train us, we pray, to fix our eyes on Christ. Help us to live our lives each day in him, knowing, believing, trusting that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we pray in his name. Amen.